All right, we are going to go ahead and jump in for this evening. If you were here last month when we got to interview my brother Scott, it'll be a very similar sort of format to that. So we'll have about an hour-long interview with Jerry. We're going to talk about a whole lot of what the Lord has done uh, in his life and in his family's life and together. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to, to have, you know, most of us know bits of Jerry's story. We've heard, you know, some of the major details here and there. But in the seven years that our church has been around, we have not actually had you sit down and sort of unfold the story kind of from beginning to end. And so I've really been looking forward to a chance to do that, and we have that chance now. So let me pray for us, and then we get to dive in. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your grace that has been so uh, obviously on display in Jerry's life and in his family's life. And and God, I pray that right now you would focus our minds. There may be a lot uh, to distract us going on this week in other areas, and I pray that you would help us not to be distracted, that you would focus us on this story and that we would be appropriately moved and encouraged and convicted by your faithfulness Uh, in your providence and your goodness, even in major unforeseen trials that come in our lives. And uh, God, I pray you would be glorified and that we would be uh, encouraged to trust you more deeply uh, in this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jerry, thank you for being willing to, to do this. So, Jerry, can we begin with some of the theological foundations that have sort of laid the groundwork for what you're going to be talking to us about yeah, tonight. No, I think so. that, um, when Let me turn your microphone on. <laughs> that when you were saying uh, Romans in March, they were wondering which March we're talking about here. Because <laughs> it's kind of been, been a while that we've been there. But when Mark announced uh, the other day that we were walking through my testimony, I thought we might be doing a faith healing here um, <laughs> later on. I don't think, though, a faith healing would be better than what God has done. Like, even if I was getting better tonight, and that could happen, I guess, um, I think what he's done in the last 39 years certainly been way better than that. Showered a lot of grace, and uh, it is all sufficient grace. Um, has certainly been for every trial and every heartache, every situation, and, uh, and I guess I'm 100% convinced that that grace has been way more sanctifying and, and ultimately satisfying, for sure, than physical healing um, would have been. Um, and I guess if physically healing, physical healing would have been the way, or if that's the way tonight that he would choose to do it, then uh, for, for me and my family or the, our whole, the, the, just thousands of people um, involved, that would have been what happened. But that wasn't what happened, so I think we have a better, better deal. We certainly, Paul prayed three times for um, God to take away the thorn in the flesh. I can't imagine, we must have paid, prayed 3,000 times you know, to get, to get better. But God had a way better plan. In fact, last Saturday, I had a friend that prayed over the phone that I would get better, um, you know, physically. And uh, so that's, that hasn't been at all. That's to say, I really think it is a little same song, but the second verse of just what Scott shared. Not that the trials are even at all the same, but the great news is, is the, the, it's the same God and it's the same um, answer is to, to race to the cross, to see the Lord work. Um, and just like Scott shared so candidly and humbly and brilliantly last month, I think, um, to just see uh, God's goodness in the midst of these trials. But um, and I think that's about all I have. Could you, maybe, how did you meet Kelly? 
Like, couldn't we go? Maybe that would be a better. I don't think so. Do. No, that would be probably more appropriate at this time. <laughs> so, Jerry, you, you would say that Romans 8 has obviously been a life mm. chapter for you, Romans 8, 28, and all the promises there. Yeah. Talk a little bit as we kind of start this journey out here on, with your life. How, how has Romans 8 played such a key role? Yeah, for, for sure. If you'd turn there, um, I think 28, if we started in 26, maybe this, this is so foundational. Like, and that... Not new to, to any of you, certainly, but um, I think before we talk about anything, this would be the way to go. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So how thrilling is it that I think all day long the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is praying for us and interceding for us, I believe 24-7, certainly even when we're not praying ourselves, he is, God faithfully always answers in the affirmative to his prayer, which is always to sanctify us, which in verse 28, that's the good. Um, not more comfortable or more fun or easier life, but all things work together for good. So that, that very sanctifying word MacArthur writes in his uh, commentary about how that's, that word works together for good is where we get the word synergy. We probably talked about that before. But synergy is, and that I had no idea what that word even meant when I read it. It's the interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations, substances, or other agents to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of all their separate effects. I remember reading that saying, I have no idea still what that means. But <laughs> the idea is like this, when you have chloride, if you eat it by itself, it's poisonous, you die. If you eat sodium by itself, it, by, you die then too, I, from what I understand. But if you put them together, they become something good, salt that we need in our bodies to live. And then you eat too much of that and then you die in three years from high <laughs> blood pressure. But the idea is you don't die instantly from the salt like you would from the other two. So God organizes poisonous events, if you will, in your life all day long, every day, working them together for good. So that the end result is, is always going to be good. And that's just fascinating to me. And I've seen that just over and over. So the logic, I think, is pretty cut and dried. But um, I remember, Mark, this is going back to your quote from probably 15 years ago, maybe when you were 19, where you said, there's two problems here, and neither of them's with the passage or the, uh, the verse itself. It's number one, do I believe it? Do I believe that promise because it seems too good to be true? Number two, do I really want what's good? Because what's good's not going to always be what's easy and what's fun, but it is always going to be what's sanctifying and what's really good. And so um, this is not at all a health, wealth, and prosperity verse, unless you're talking about spiritual health, wealth, and prosperity. Um, you know, so is it worth it? Absolutely, it's worth it. When you get to 29 and 30, this is not happening willy-nilly, right? Look at thread 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the likeness of his son. That's the good, to be conformed to the image of his son, happening all day long, every day in the life of every believer. Such an amazing promise. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Past tense, even though we're not there yet. And so 
This is not at all willy-nilly. This started before the beginning of time, even Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. So the, the idea is that God foreknew, predestined, called, justified, and it's as good as done that he's uh, taking us to, to heaven here. So my guess is that um, we, we need we get too good to miss out on 31 and 32 yet. Um, and I wish uh, Papa is uh, sick tonight, but I wish... He could be here. If you ever need a tutorial on the all things, ask Papa. He's really good on this. 31. So what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And that if is not iffy, right? This is really since God's for us. We know he's for us. Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So we know he's for us because he gave us his own son. He sacrificed his son. And so by doing that, Isaiah 53 crushed his son for us that we could be um, glorified in the end and all that whole process that he started. And so I imagine there's 108 sins that we would not participate in if we really believed this verse. Believed it and wanted the good, like you're saying. Let me just race through 10 really fast. Number one, I just don't think there would be anything to fear. No more fear. And that would be such a huge blessing. How many times does God's word tell us not to fear? So the promises um, give us the sword that we need to fight that. Number two, anxiety. Mark, you're preaching on that. Can't wait for next week. Scott, in a couple weeks, that we could be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and petition, let our requests be made known to God. Um, Scott, one of Scott's favorites that he's went to the last few months Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is a day is its own trouble. Number three, condemnation over old sin. I don't think we'd be condemned anymore with the old sin. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the thesis statement in Romans 8, 1, right? That covers the, the whole thing. Philippians 3, 13, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. Let's learn from our past sin but let's not be paralyzed by it, I think. Because even our past sin is part of the all things, as amazing as that is. Not to produce licentiousness, but how about complaining, number four? Do all things without complaining or arguing. Who's complaining about what's working for good? It's always working for good all day long, and yet we're gripers. I got called out numerous times this week on my complaining. I'm guilty as charged. Always forgive. Right, Joseph, Genesis 50, 20. Joseph, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Remember those brothers? That man, was it real evil? Absolutely. But he had the bigger picture. He had God's sovereignty involved so he could forgive. Um, Genesis 45, 8. It was not you that sent me here, but God. So um, Joseph, and I think we should see that when someone wrongs us, the way bigger picture is, is that God's using that to sanctify us. How about bad, number six, bad moods or self-pity, Right? We should be consistently constant, constantly consistent. I fall into this trap too often, but it's just illogical. Self-pity brings our Lord no glory, shows complete disregard for his loving promises. Promises of Romans 8, I think, expose that. How about ingratitude? Coach Kraus, don't delay gratitude. How many times have we heard it? And we need to hear it all the time. Give thanks in all circumstances. How does the Bible tell us to give thanks in all circumstances? Because we can, because it's all working out for good. God's synergizing every bit of it. Never be lacking in zeal. Serving the Lord. We covered that last week in Sunday school. There's no room 
for laziness. And that's Romans 12, 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Number nine, discouragement. One of Satan's primary tools, it seems like to me, probably maybe to you, is in the tool bag is to make us discouraged. Joshua 1, be a great place to, to camp. Be strong and courageous. And then number 10, I think it's a motivation to resist laziness. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we need to get after it. You know, just a few seconds here left. So I think most of the joy, joy robbers, Mark, would be put to bed if we really believe this. Um, and since it's true, we might as well believe it and enjoy it. You know, it seems. Oh, that's excellent. Is that all 10 of them? That's 10 of them. But the bad part is I'm 10 for 10 in disobeying them. And, uh, you know, way easier to sit here and talk about them. But, I mean, I'm talking about probably the last 25 minutes. So that's the, the hard part. And I realize it's just not that easy. But we have to bathe our word in God's, bathe our mind, I think, in God's word. You know, saturate our mind in Scripture. So we do have that sword to, to fight. And sometimes I forget the word, I'm afraid. Sometimes worse yet, I almost choose to not remember it, which is, you know, more concerning. So this is obviously unbelievably <clears throat> applicable to our lives. It affects all of our attitudinal sins, like all yeah. of our, our bad attitudes. <clears throat> so th this, is where, this is where all this is leading. All, all this that you're talking about is leading to these 10 things that we can apply. Um, let's, let's now go to your life, if that's okay. Uh, let's rewind back to, I don't even know what year this would be, but back when you were about five or six years old. 40s. <laughs> 18, 1840s. <laughs> yeah. Because you, you became a believer very young. Yeah. Do you remember any no, of that? Not really. what, do you, what do you remember about I your conversion? I don't remember ever being an unbeliever. And, wow. and, 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 just, and it could have been when I was five, six, seven, I don't know. Probably prayed to prayer a lot like every young Mennonite boy would do, right? But it, I just don't ever remember not loving the Lord and loving the Word and being convicted of my sin. Even as a Lord, it's emotional for me to even think about that because God's grace way, way early on. And then mom and dad, for young families, I just think my mom and dad were so faithful. They were as ordinary people as you could get. We're talking Mennonite Nebraska farmers. And, uh, and they, were, they were super fun. They were incredible. Dad would uh, um, lead us in devotions every night, would shut off the TV, all turn around. And he would read uh, the Living Bible, don't recommend that, and the, our daily bread. And then we would turn around and we would kneel. On, and I didn't ever hear what they prayed because it's so muffled by, their, by where they were in the, in the living room. But we would all go around and pray oldest to youngest, and it was just uh, what happened every night. And then mom, she was so faithful in like making us learn. We had to learn a verse every week for, by, for uh, Sunday school. And she was very faithful to get us to do that. We would do it during Lawrence Welk because Lawrence Welk was terrible. And we, that was a better option than watching Lawrence. Well, I don't know if anybody's old enough to remember that. Don't, don't even look it up. It's not very good. But the, I, I just remember her faithfulness in doing that and serving us. And her favorite verse um, was uh, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to his power that worked in us. And so she modeled that. She trusted the Lord in such a neat way. And so did my dad. So I think growing up days were a huge influence on just saying, that's kind of what we did is just 
believe that God was going to take care of it. You know, how's the corn going to come up? Well, God will make that come up if he wants to. And, uh, and it did every year. God did choose to, to do that. And so it was kind of a neat environment, I think, in preparation. And that's what I think. I think when I was, I got, uh, I had bad allergies when I was a little guy. Well, I was five or six, so I had to take shots every Saturday. I remember hating those. And uh, mom was a nurse, so she would give it to me. And then when I was 10, I got diabetes. So then that meant some more shots and a little bit more, a little bit bigger trial. And then when I was 17, I broke my neck. That's when it became, you know, a bigger trial. So I love the way, I, I believe, I think this is the way it always works with every believer, that God sovereignly prepares you for the next thing. Whatever happens yesterday was to prepare us for today and tomorrow and the next day and this week for next week and this year for next year and this decade for the next decade. That, that's really helpful. And th this is a part that I don't think we've heard a lot about. <clears throat> and I, I don't think I even know as much about this. When you, when you were about 10 is when you said you, you found out about the diabetes diagnosis. Yeah. Can, can you talk a little bit about as a 10-year-old, did you understand fully what that meant and, and kind of what, how did you adjust to that uh, news? Yeah, um, yeah, I think kind of grew up sort of happy-go-lucky. I guess happy-go-providence would be the better way to say that. And so it did just seem like another trial. And it was, it was, it was big. It, having to start to take the shots, couldn't eat any more things with sugar in it, and then just had to exercise a lot to keep my blood sugar down. And so, uh, yeah, it was a, a huge change in the lifestyle but man, I think thinking back, what a glorious way to get prepared for the, the next bigger event in seven years, probably. Right. So. Do you remember, like, when you found out about that, was there a struggle in your trust of the Lord at that time? Yeah. I think some, but I don't remember it being ever a time. I really think with the foundation of mom and dad, I don't think there was ever a struggle with who God was or what he was going to do through it. It was just a trial of a fifth grader of, uh, you know, not liking, the, not eating what everybody else was eating or having to take the shots probably. But I don't remember it being a, uh, a spiritual struggle, really. I remember yeah. praying a lot that I could get my blood sugar down, you know. <laughs> but, that, you know, and, and so in that way, it probably was really good. So fast forwarding to the, to what, I mean, along with your conversion, this is one of the major moments of your life. Uh, when, when, can you talk a little bit about just that football season, just kind of setting us up for what, what was going on? As you were a 17-year-old, you were a senior, right? Right. <clears throat> can you senior. explain just a little bit of what was going on before that night? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We really had a lot of fun playing football. And there were only 19 guys in my class. The reason I remember that is that every vote uh, my senior year was 19 to 16 because we always voted against the girls, what they wanted. So there were 19 <laughs> boys and 16 of us were playing football, and we had so much fun. And we were really good at football. It wasn't my fault that we were good at football. <laughs> because I was the second worst player on our team um, until the worst guy got hurt, and so I was the worst guy for a while. The coach said about my football playing ability, he's small, but he's slow. So that's, that's what I had going for me, and I was. And, and let me come back to the small part. This is so, it griped me so bad to be so small. My dad was probably a biscuit short of 320 when he went to heaven. He was nothing small about him. And my brothers aren't really small. And I could not, I was 150 pounds and I could not gain weight. I was so small. And so 
That really drove me crazy. And it, I could not figure out, like, why is this? I'm from the same genes. How do I not, couldn't gain? And then now I think about what happens if I was, big Coach Krause is just thinking, we would have to hire Crane <laughs> Rental to get me out of the bed <laughs> at this point if I would have been big. And so God, what really, and I love this about God's providence, what really made me unhappy for years is such a huge blessing now. Mm. But, and so, I, don't, I guess that's a little bit off the point, but we had a great football year and we were really good at football. We were in the championship game and um, it was a pretty nice night in Nebraska for November 18 anyway. And, um, and we had just had uh, a, a ton of fun playing and, and I was super excited about the game. It was gonna be my last football game because it was a senior year. And uh, so I, I'm holding for that. We'll watch the video and I'm holding for the kicker. Um, and so that's, I'm always the last guy down there to, to get the tackle. So this time the guy's still going. Like I'm about drool coming out of the bottom of my helmet because I'm looking at my like third tackle of the year. The other two had been in practice. And so, you know, this is going to be pretty fun to be able to hit this guy. And then, and when, and you'll see when I hit him, it was absolutely what they would call targeting today. They didn't throw flags for that kind of stuff, but it's not a good tackle. But providentially, it was the best tackle mm. because of this just turned out to be Besides the day that God gripped my heart when I was a little guy and when I married Amy and had Ben and Maggie, certainly the best day of my life. Ian, can we put that on the screen? All right, Jerry, can you narrate for us here? There's, you're uh, holding the ball right here. Yep, I'm holding the ball right there. Yeah, it's fuzzy. That's what you get for 1983 footage right there. And I'm going to come and hit him right. Oh, it's going slow motion. I'm going to hit him right here, and our helmets met. And right mine's, there. Yep. And mine's met sideways enough that I dislocated vertebrae C3, 4, C4, 5, which are the fourth and fifth vertebrae down from your brain stem. And, um, and so I just go down in a heap. It didn't hurt that bad. It hurt a little bit in the neck, but I just couldn't move a muscle. I think there's a guy that comes flying up. Right there. Right. there. There's a guy that came flying up. You might have seen him waving his hands. He saw it looked fishy in God's providence again. He comes and he stops anybody from Jim Clark was getting ready to help me up. And he just said, no, 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 no. And he made everybody go back, which now had I, someone help me up, the dislocated vertebrae could have uh, severed my spinal cord. As it turned out, it wasn't severed. It was just bruised. Can you pause it, Ian? So just just on, on that point that Jerry just made, I didn't, I don't, didn't realize this because we were reviewing this to prepare for tonight. And when Jerry mentioned that, so again, we went back and I rewatched it. And you see this guy just running, waving his hands really quickly right across the front of the screen. And Jerry made the point, I know he just said this, but the, the point, I'd not really realized this. Had that guy not noticed that the way Jerry fell seemed to be indicate that there was a major issue, had he not come running up and stopped you getting up at that moment, I mean, it could have been a far more serious yeah. situation, right? Because I'm C4-5 <clears throat> incomplete, which means my spinal cord wasn't severed. So I have feeling down my legs and in my hands and way more movement than I would have had had the spinal cord been severed. And uh, so C4-5 complete injury would have been a whole different ball game as far as my... You would have had almost no Yeah, it would motion. have been a lot, lot different, for sure. Is it able to pick back up, Ian? 
There's, this is just, uh, oh, no, I'm starting over. Uh, you're just going to see mom and dad come out here. Obviously, they have a huge um, concern. The guys with the, um, at this point, I'm conscious, and I want to get up because I knew the guys were probably making fun of me for laying out there on the field like we usually did with anybody that would lay out on the field. But I just could not move a muscle. I could move my mouth and my eyes. Uh, yeah, there we go. The guys in the white coats are our coaches. My dad is, there's mom in the... Uh, the brown coat? Yeah, the kind of the yeah, maroon coat. Yeah, maybe brown there looking down at me. And dad's behind him back there in the kind of beige-looking coat. And so obviously, hugely concerned. Um, I remember mom going, coming down, maybe right there. That's your brother, right, Mike? My head. With the, yeah, my brother Mike. The dark and white a, jacket. Get to teach with. Uh, some of you know Mike. Um, he's four years younger than me, so he's a eighth grader there. And that's my, uh, my dad. I think that you can his head's cut off there. Yeah, there he is with the Russian hat on. Might have been doing spy, spy activity. Um, he, so they take me off. They haul me off here. They took me in an ambulance. One thing I forget about, in the ambulance, it's probably a three-minute drive. Mary Lanning Hospital. This is in Hastings, just a small town in Nebraska where we're playing. Take me to the hospital. And in that three minutes, I remember thinking, you know, this is probably a whole different deal. I didn't know if I was going to regain, I, at that point, what do I really know what's going to mm -hmm. happen? But I remember thinking, I really think I'm going to get to know the Lord in a whole different way here. And now wow. I didn't, certainly didn't know what was all coming. But there was a huge, but one thing I should say, laying out on the field, a huge piece that surpasses all understanding. That certainly is inexplicable except for God's goodness and really been a 39-year deal kind of has that's continued really. But you have the conscious thought, 17 years old, after on this that, has just happened, like right in this not, video, yeah, basically. Yeah, so it was 20 minutes on the field, but on the way to the hospital, okay. I remember thinking that. You, you remember thinking, my relationship with the Lord is going to change yeah, for the good like, in a major way. I really did, and it was an exciting thought to think, you know, I don't know that I'd ever prayed for how much I'd prayed for sanctification. You know, I'd known the Lord now for a dozen years, and was growing, but you know, knew that this could be a, a whole different deal, where I'd have to rely on him. And no one had an easier first 12 years of being a Christian than I had had, as far as just life being so fun and just easy and, and enjoyable in every way. So this was going to change things. And part, Maybe part that is not as familiar for some of us is, can you give us a little bit of detail when you actually get to the hospital, some of those next couple of weeks, what, what that oh, looked yeah. like? Because they, they're drilling things into your head, right, to hold the halo on your head. I mean, can you give a little bit of what, what was happening when you got to the hospital? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had to, um, because my vertebrae were dislocated, they had to try to get them back into place. And they, my muscles were too tight, so they were trying to figure out, they called Denver because they didn't know exactly what to do in Denver at Craig Hospital, kind of like Shepherds here in Atlanta as a sister hospital that. So they walked them through how to do it and they ended up putting me to sleep and giving me, uh, well, they first drilled a, like a, some traction. They hung these weights from my head to pull the neck so that they would snap back into place was the idea and it worked. Again, providentially, had I had to have surgery that night to do it, it would have been a harder deal. But certainly that 
turned out to be a great thing. I didn't need surgery. The vertebrae, the damage was done already to the spinal cord, the doctor says, in the first few seconds, really. But the vertebrae got back to where they belong. The spinal cord's still running through where it belongs in. I did have to have kind of a minor surgery a couple years later, but I didn't need to that night. So that was really... That was really neat. Stayed in the hospital five days in Hastings where, before I was stable enough to ship me to, uh, to Denver, and then I was there for four months. Um, tell us, I, I want to know more about these four months. What, 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 was, what was that yeah. like as you're as it's kind of fully realizing what's happened and, and what the future may look like? Yeah, yeah. No, it seemed like they were good months. There was a lot of work. I, I was thinking... My, now, mom and dad, they made 17 trips. They wouldn't let them stay out there because they didn't want anybody babying you. Right, they wanted you to get after it and get back as much as you could, so they wouldn't let somebody stay, you know, with me out there. It was like a seven-hour drive. So mom and dad would come every weekend, Friday night, stay till Sunday night, and then leave. And so it was always really fun to see them on the weekends. And other people would come skiing in Colorado, and so I would get to see, you know, other people from school. And so there was a lot of fun weekends. But and then during the week, it was all. It was all busy. But I was thinking about yesterday, we had, I guess just for instance, what we would do, we're a bunch of quadriplegics, right? There's uh, 20 of us on one floor and then 20 um, on a different floor. Quadriplegics are paraplegics, but a whole bunch of us were doing physical therapy together. And uh, I know we have some physical therapists in the room that can probably picture this. So we're all sitting in our wheelchair and they're like, okay, chicken wings. So we're supposed to be going like this, but nobody can do it. So I'm looking around, although I, I'm in a halo at this point. So there's this halo that's drilled in your head to keep, you know, to keep the, your vertebrae to heal up. So I have the halo. So I'm like this and the other people have halos. I'm looking around and nobody's doing chicken wings. We're just all, but we're doing isometrics. We're supposed to be doing chicken wings. And I'm thinking... I'm wondering if this physical therapy is really working. It doesn't really look like much is happening here. But they would try to do a lot of stuff that just didn't. And then slowly the Lord brought back enough that I have enough to kind of write and eat and drive recklessly, really. That's about, about what I got. So there's still some things like the triceps don't work, so I can't really straighten my arm unless I swing it or... Um, Things like some neat stuff that I wouldn't have known that your fingers close automatically when you... So if I'm going to pick up something, I can do it with the, little, the wrist that I have. Mm. I can't move my wrist up this way at all, but I can move that one a little bit that way and this one a little bit. And so, but just that allows me to pick something up, you know, like my glasses because of the way the wrist... So again, God gave back just enough to be able to do to do some things. I have, look at that, those two fingers move if you drink enough coffee. And then three, uh, I guess four, and nine toes. I got 13 digits moving. So, that, and so there was a lot of work there on the physical therapy, and, but there was also a lot of, they were, did a really good job of just preparing you to get home for life. That was going to be a ton different. I don't know if we talked about this recently or not, but we may have mentioned it, but you, the first Timothy 4 verse about physical training is of, I don't know if you're going to uh, yeah. mention this, but physical training is of some value. Godliness has value for all things, both yeah. this life and the life to come. I may have butchered the verse, but that, you said that verse in particular really came home to you when you were in the midst of this therapy. Can you explain yeah. that? 
That was, and that was even later. Later, okay. Yeah, when, when, and I'll, let me come back to that. But uh, I worked for th on the therapy about six years pretty hard. Oh, wow. To get that, to get that back. And, um, you know, so, so really there is way more back physically than I have any business getting back probably. The other day, it was just last week, it was pretty funny. One of the little guys was playing PE, and he's like, what's wrong with your hands? And I was like, well, I don't, you know, oh, they don't move very good. He said, they look floppy. <laughs> I was like, yeah, they are a little floppy. And, you know, so kids are funny because they're saying exactly the same thing the adults are thinking. But they don't mind. They don't mind saying it. So there's some pretty good, some pretty good. One little guy I was giving a little presentation to like first graders. And, uh, and it, I just started. Like I wasn't. I barely had introduced my name or whatever. This is at the high school that had happened at, or the grade school that right when I, he said, how do you get in the bathtub? Like just raised his hand. And then from then on, it was just open game with some great questions. So little guys, there's a lot of entertaining things that happened in the wheelchair. So you came home from the hospital in, I've got written down March of 84. Right. Is that correct? That's right. So you came home in March of 84. Can you talk about that experience coming back yeah. home? No, really good. One thing that's pretty neat and kind of was uh, a providential look ahead to what was going to happen. Ten of my friends, I, so I started trying to go back to school a little bit, although I kind of graduated that semester. This was I was going to graduate with my, my class, and it worked out to do that. But uh, there were nine of us in calculus. The other eight guys, there were nine boys, no girls. Nobody, no girls wanted to hang out with us, I don't think. They, all eight of them, and two other guys took Monday, two of them would come over Tuesday, Wednesday to help mom and dad. And wow. so they got me up. They would fight. I'm not going to watch this hair. It's greasy. No, you watch. And I, <laughs> at this point, I was pretty much still paralyzed from the neck down. I couldn't push Goodness. my wheelchair. I think about six months after I got home, we could start putting like a few, two minutes on the microwave and I could see if I could get a foot or two. And then, you know, and then the Lord just kept healing things up enough that, uh, that I could start um, moving a little bit more. So I was able to graduate, um, went to University of Nebraska the next uh, fall, um, trying to be a math major, got a 32 on my first calculus test and thought providentially that might not be the way to go. <laughs> Football tickets were good, but my grades weren't. And um, so that quit after two years, kind of aimless in that whole thing, and then really started working on physical therapy and worked four years really hard to get better. Oh, another thing that happened in these four years, though, that was really something, and something, again, that I was really unhappy about, was I got calcium deposits that started growing in my hips. Happens to quadriplegics, I think 20%, 25%, get this bad, it's called HO, heterotopic ossification, something fancy there, where just bone grows in there like crazy. So my x-rays just look like a Christmas tree of brightness of new bone. And it was really frustrating because I couldn't sit up straight. It kept me from doing any sort of real therapy very well. They took it all out in 87. The doctor said, we just go and pound it Pound it out of there. Have to store up your own blood. Really bloody. Three weeks in the hospital. It all grew back. And I was, that was one of the harder times for me to just think, oh man, we're starting this whole process. And in 89, two years later in the summer, we did it again. This time they radiated it. 
it ended up being that it stopped the bone growth, but now again, it's kind of like being small. Now it's such an advantage being smaller than my, my dad, I would say, that now after the lasagna, I'm getting a little bigger, but now uh, they, these bone deposits keep me from falling out of my chair as much, I think, because it makes me tighter in the hips. It, he rounded it so when I sleep on my side, I don't get skin sores on my hip. I think I would get bad pressure sores on my hip, except it's rounded in there because when he did it, he took out just the right amount, so I'm not bony there. So all of these things that had I known the Elizabeth Elliot quote, the end mm. from the beginning, I would have wanted that. That's what God did all the way back there. Now, so. I'll just slip in a little personal story very briefly. Uh, Jerry and I went on a trip. This is more than 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. We went on a trip to somewhere together, and uh, <clears throat> it was the first time I had ever, and I know Steve and others have done this many, many, many more times than I have. I've only done it a few times, but getting Jerry ready just for bed and all those kinds of things, I had never done it before. I was even nervous. That I'm, do I even know how to do this? And so- Should have been nervous. <laughs> I remember, to this day, I remember I was probably a late teenager, and uh, I remember getting Jerry ready and just kind of seeing all involved and getting him into his bed, and- uh, I went and got in my bed, and I'll never forget, I, uh, I just started weeping it, w going to bed that night because it, it was the first time I realized what every day looks like for him, what every day looks like for him. Like, I, I, for those who are involved with that know what that's like, but as, a, as a, maybe a 19-year-old, it was the first time I had seen what every day looks like for, for the Edgars. And I, I was just in disbelief at just how many things have to happen. And so I just remember that night weeping, thinking, man, like, I'm just seeing a tiny sliver of what day-to-day -day life looks like. And uh, yeah, so it, it was a very, very powerful thing for me to see that. Um, so let, let, let's move on here to you. you uh, for the sake of time, uh, Amy, can, yeah. can you talk about oh, yeah. meeting Amy and then moving into you guys getting married and the, the impact that she's obviously had on, on you and, and your kids? Oh, yeah. No, unbelievable. I, we... Um, Ended up going to Columbia Bible College, met a man there who became um, a pastor at Surfside Presbyterian. I was working it for the church that I grew up in and, um, and loved the ministry there. And he called and asked whether I could come work at, with him at Surfside Press. And uh, that day it was 64 and Surfside and it was two in Nebraska. And I thought if it's 32 times warmer at Myrtle Beach, that's probably where I need to be. And so... We, my brother and I moved out there and uh, where I thought, and I love the church, I love the ministry, and this pastor was an incredible guy to learn from, just incredible. But the reason that God took us there was certainly for Amy. We were in the same Bible studies. It was super small at that point. It was probably like our church even a couple years ago. And um, it was just a close-knit group. So I started to uh, become interested in Amy um, the, the Lord had brought her out there to just because her dad was an FBI agent and he wanted to play golf and retire out there. And so that's where she ended up, um, you know, getting providentially. But uh, she is, was such so high character, so steady. Um, her old NIV Bible was just read to shreds. Uh, she's very thorough. And so after we met and started dating a little bit, she went and did a study on quadriplegics and diabetics, probably, probably Nebraskans, all my disabilities, to say, <laughs> is this something that I can really, you know, jump into? And uh, just because that's the way it's typical of her. 
but she embraced the physical limitations with grace and perseverance. She is loyal to an incredible degree. Uh, she determined that if God brought us together in marriage, she was going to commit through thick and thin. Bob Friesen, one of my friends at home, said one at our rehearsal dinner, one woman's getting ready to take the job of uh, 10 guys. And, uh, and that's what she's done. I mean, it's just been, just been incredible. Um, her ministry, I guess I've talked about that, is just triple the ministry. She has all the wifely duties that every other wife has. Um, well, it, we're ex quadriplegics are expensive too. And so she's had to needy and expensive. So she's worked all the time since we've, uh, we've been married. So she's got that going to help keep us um, solvent. She physically does, so she does number one, all the things a normal wife would do, but number two, she helps me do all the things that I need, just physically, and, and uh, which is, you know, kind of like you saw that night, just a lot, a lot to do. Um, and, you know, I know when she was married, it had, when we first got married, it had seemed like, kind of like a ball peeing hammer, like, hey, could you pick up, would you, could you, boy, could I have you? You know, it's just constant, I'm sure it felt like for her, but that's just where she's so consistent. I think 9,000 times, if I'm doing the math right, give or take 100, she's put me to bed at night, every night. You know, I'm sure she's tired, just wants to go to bed like everybody else does, but she's got the extra stuff to do, does it faithfully, works out a lot in order to be able to lift me. For all the guys that help lift me, it's not easy. And so she's, for 25 years, just done that. So the first six years, she got me up every morning. You know, the whole fiasco that kind of goes uh, she did with morning that. morning and night for the first six years? Yeah, before Ben. Wow. And then once we had Ben... Um, that's when, when Mike Osborne started, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. I, here's the thing about, and it's uh, Elizabeth Elliot, maybe Amy's read everything Elizabeth Elliot and Johnny Erickson Tata have put out, but this reminds me of her. It's, and you maybe heard of it, the next thing. It's a poem, but I would like to read it, because it's just Amy through and through. From an old English parsonage down by the sea, there came in the twilight a message to me. His quaint Saxon legend, deeply engraven, hath it seemed to me teaching from heaven. And on through the doors, the quiet words ring, like a low inspiration, do the next thing. Many a questioning, many a fear, many a doubt, hath its quieting here. Moment by moment, let down from heaven, time, opportunity, and guidance are given. Fear not tomorrow, child of the king. Trust them with Jesus, do the next thing. Do it immediately. Do it with prayer. Do it reliantly, casting all care. Do it with reverence, tracing his hand, who placed it before thee with earnest command. Stayed on omnipotent, safe neath his wing. Leave all results and do the next thing. Looking for Jesus, ever serener, working, working or suffering, be thy demeanor. In his dear presence, the rest of his calm, the light of his countenance, be thy psalm. Strong in his faithfulness, praise and sing. Then as he beckons thee, do the next thing. So there's pretty, I'm pretty sure I've never met someone who does the next right thing like Amy, just day in, day out. So certainly God providentially made her as she is, uh, perfectly for all her roles that she has, for, for me and for all the other people that she influences.
uh, some people <clears throat> have heard you say this. I want to get the number right. So the greatest day of your life, we don't even know the day, was your conversion. Yeah. <clears throat> and then you've got your marriage to Amy and the birth of Ben and Maggie. And then you would say, and it, when people for hear sure. this for the first time, it, it sounds like you've misspoken. But you would say yeah. the fifth greatest day of your life was? Oh, yeah. No, for sure that, because of just the sanctification that I think it's brought on. Now, if, sure. if someone just hears that and says, that just sounds crazy. Like yeah. the day that you broke your neck is the fifth greatest day of your life because of how God has used it. Explain yeah. a little bit more. Why, why would you say that? What, what do you mean by that? I, I think that, and I think that most of us would say this, that for sure for me, when things are easy, I grow self-reliant and I don't grow very quickly spiritually. But usually the the bigger the bump in the road, the bigger the speed bump is usually where I grow a little, little better. So I, I'm certain that that's what God intended and, uh, and brought about perfectly. And that at that time, that been the biggest change or has added more trials than any other event, which then has brought about more sanctification, I would guess, than any other event. And we don't need to go into detail here, but just like with, with, with both diabetes and paralysis, like you, you talk about how many people, I mean, how many people in our country have both of those, right? It's, it's got to be yeah. an extremely small number. But with that, all kinds of other health issues that are not going to be public per se, but just a, a regular part of your life is dealing with potential health issues that come up, I mean, it seems like very regularly. So how, how have those things helped you rely on the Lord? Yeah, no, I think just the the little individual daily things, the guys that come and help me get up, talk about those guys in a second. They're very careful to check for skin sores. The doctor said as a diabetic with a spinal cord injury, you're not going to have very good circulation at all, and you're kind of going to be a rolling skin sore waiting to happen. And, uh, and, and I am, but they haven't. You know, they have happened, but still nothing that has. I don't think we were talking about it. I don't know that I've been in the hospital. Right. Maybe since 89, since that surgery, maybe. I don't remember being overnight in one. I've been in there for surgeries and other things like that, but not, uh, maybe not overnight. Oh, that's, so, that's so, God, so in that way, God's been very gracious to um, allow that to, to just work out really in an, in an amazing way. So many things, Mark, and I don't know how to even like think about this. The way when God brought Amy and I out here... Um, it, it was kind of an ill-advised move. I thought it, I could probably become a pastor somewhere, and I wasn't even, no one was even close to one to, to hire me. And Jeez. so it turned out to be that, that there was a, that at Westminster, a chance to go and, and teach the Bible. And so that's just been for 22 years, such a, a, a huge, huge blessing. God gave us Ben and Maggie through uh, being um, out here. So just many blessings that in that way, um, you know, in, in being able to teach to see in Romans ten seventeen, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then to sanctify for those students that are believers to sanctify them by truth. They, they are truth. I thought the other day kind of added it up. I think 400,000, uh, you know, students, some of them a thousand at a time, like hours that you about had that many classes probably. But, you know, being able to see that many uh, students has been, been quite a blessing for sure. That's amazing. Um, so the last big things we want to cover here, <clears throat> number one, uh, th this one has sort of been running through, but the doctrine of God's providence, 
uh, has obviously become very important. Can you say a word about that? And then as we, as we move toward uh, the last few minutes that we'll have, uh, maybe giving some examples of trials being worth it, giving some specific yeah, illustrations. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Thanks. Yeah, God's in heaven and he does what he pleases. I think that's increasingly more obvious or clear. Um, you know, and if you know the Lord Jesus, the events of your life have been different than the ones we've talked about here, but they're no less providential. And so from foreknowing you uh, before the beginning of time, all of that that's laid out and traced out in Romans 8 is happening for each of us. Scott talked about this, the, the Elizabeth Elliot again, quote, God is always doing something, the very best thing. The thing we ourselves would certainly choose if we knew the end from the beginning. He is at work to bring us to our full glory. So I think each day prepares us for the next, you know, certainly Philippians 1, 6. Um, it's not an overnight deal. He who began a good work will carry it on to completion. And that's what he just uh, continues to do. A lot of that is um, God's discipline, I think. Hebrews 12, 5 to 11. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. And I think about these physical things that happen, you know, periodically or kind of continually, those are all good for discipline, for training, for to, to learn whatever's next. Nor be weary when he be proved by them, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, chastens every son whom he receives, for it's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we all have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time. Those earthly fathers did. But um, as it seemed best to them, but he, God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. And certainly there are, you know, for all of us, the trials are painful. Later on, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. And so uh, Alan McCannon has reminded me of this first how many times? Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should lead me. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my powers made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the, Christ, for the name of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insult, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For then I, when I am weak, then I am strong. So the great news is, is that God's grace through the trial is way better than not having the trial at all. And mm -hmm. so I bellyache about my trials, but I need to learn to be more thankful for him because God's grace is what's good, not a life without trials. That's what we, I think, should be praying for. So in that light, the verse you were talking about, this, um, that physical training is of some value. And I thought about this. I went to California for five months to work on getting better, 1990. So seven years after I was hurt. And had to, as I was leaving there, and it was great physical training, I thought physical training, that verse hit me. I remember where I was sitting. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for both this life and the life to come. It seemed like there was a far better, far better option. And so God's taking care of us providentially. I was thinking, you know, in, kind of in preparation for this, just financially, please know God's going to take care of you. I've had 
seven vans. And so they, three of them have been totaled. And so I send a Christmas card to State, Car State Farm for, they've bought three <laughs> vans for me. Three churches that we worked in uh, have bought us vans. You know, God's taking care of us um, financially in order to, to be able to get by with things. So I remember the second one had 6,000 miles and the, the guy was selling it for $6,000. Same miles as, as dollars. It was a great it was a great deal. Just those, those sort of things. And so keep your life free from the love of money. Be content in what you have because I'll never leave you or forsake you. Um, I think about how God has blessed me with Ben and Maggie uh, and Amy and I. Um, ben, both of them, just I have a ridiculous amount of serving to do um, continually. Ben continually just says when you ask him to do something, sure. You know, and uh, he's got a good dose of happy go providence in him, too. And just the right way to uh, God made him and Mags just in a way to 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 really serve um, the guys that come over in the morning. I know I've talked about these guys. I'm, I mean, I get emotional talking about them or or Amy's service. Um, but I think five thousand five hundred and fifty five times maybe they've come over and uh, helped me in the morning for these last 18 years. Kevin Hallman, John Sarton, Ken Morgan, David Hancock, Steve Krause, Alan McCannon, Mike Osborne, Billy Dudley, Josh Cronick, Ben Woodard, Aaron Brown, you know, a lot of those guys. The way the body of Christ has come alongside, whether that would be financially or physically, like Scott talked about last week, just our, or last month, our church, and other churches, God's people, have, um, have overwhelmed us with just their, their service. Mm. That's, that's really good. Um, as, as we wrap up here, Jerry, um, for, for people going through different kinds of trials, maybe not as dramatic as what, as what happened to you, maybe I, I find that sometimes the more mundane trials get me more sometimes mm -hmm. than the bigger ones because you're not as prepared sometimes. You're more off guard yeah. by the smaller things. But just for, for those maybe going through more the regular everyday sort of trials of life, what, what's a kind of a closing word for, for us? I know yeah. it can relate even back to your opening 10 points, which I think were totally applicable. But just what's a word of encouragement for those of us getting caught up in the day-to-day -day anxieties and struggles of life? Yeah, no, it's such a good... You know, I do think we just have to remember that God's in heaven and he does what he pleases, so to trust him. Um, I know that at one time I remember one of the guys, I, I said, do you think I'm about out of the woods? He was looking at one of the skin sores. He said, I, yeah, I don't think you're ever going to be out of the woods. And I think that that's, I grow best in the woods. And I think most of us maybe do. And so to say, when we're in the woods, whatever that is in your life, to not be disgruntled by that that God's providentially got you there and that his grace is sufficient and that he's all loving, so he wants what's best for you. He's all knowing, so he knows what's best and he's all powerful. So his arm's never too short. He will always do whatever is best, whether that's another trial or whether that's just sometimes on easy street. And I'm so thankful that as our loving father in heaven, he's the one that decides that. We don't get to decide that. I don't think we would want to. Again, going back to the Elizabeth Elliot quote, if we knew the end, and he does, then he knows perfectly what to bring in between there to make us more like our Savior. So, um, so we can trust him. That's, I think, 
think the bottom line, he did not spare his own son. He cares deeply about you, loves you as your father. And just as an earthly father, we would do anything to train our kids in the way that they should go. God's perfect and um, so faithful to he who began that good work, he will carry it on to completion. And so I guess, and this is more what I would want to do, but I think what all of us would want to do is to um, allow our light and momentary troubles to, that are achieving for us the eternal glory that far outweighs them all to fix our eyes not on what's seen but on what's unseen. What's seen is temporary and what's unseen is eternal. And, and uh, race to the cross, uh, enjoy and appreciate each day that he blesses us with because we've never been this close to heaven. For the unbeliever, it's as good as it gets right now. Tomorrow, they're one day closer um, to hell without the Lord Jesus and one day further in their sin. But for the believer, this is as bad as it gets. Tomorrow is one day better, and the next day is one day better, and the next day is one day better because we're almost there. We're almost home. Ian's going to come after we pray and lead us in a song, and then we may have a few minutes where we can just discuss around our tables when the song is over before 7.30. Uh, just take a few minutes and just talk about some highlights from what you heard tonight around the tables, and at 7.30, we'll dismiss. Uh, Jerry, can you pray for us? Uh, yes, sir. Father, I'm thankful for uh, just your uh, continual goodness and your grace. And your love, I do thank you that you are all-loving, all-knowing, and all-powerful. Lord, I thank you that for every believer, we know that you who began that good work will carry it on to completion, uh, that all things really will work together for good. You'll synergize uh, every event, even those that seem uh, so hard and so painful right now. Um, thank you, Father, that we can cast our cares on you because you so deeply care for us and that we can trust you and we can be anxious for nothing. But in everything, through prayer and supplication, through thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to you. We ask, Lord, now that you would help us to um, be um, uh, diligent about uh, casting these cares on you. Maybe instead of growing weary and well-doing or uh, grumbling or complaining, these things that uh, tend to get us, uh, we ask that we would race to you with, with each of those. And we're so thankful for your faithfulness um, that day in, and day out, you uh, train us um, uh, with so much compassion, so much love, and, uh, and with perfect discipline to um, um, train us in holiness. And we're grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you all will stand, let's sing together.
about 13 or so minutes to discuss just some highlights of things that stood out to you at your tables and then we'll dismiss at 7.30. So let's bow our heads again. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you again for your providence that you are both good and you are sovereign and you love us deeply and you've demonstrated that most clearly by giving your son for us and if you've given us your son, which is the most unthinkable thing, the most unthinkable act of love, you will also graciously give us everything we need to live a life that honors you. So I pray even in these last few minutes that our conversations around the tables would be honoring to you as we discuss some highlights from what we heard. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.